0: Wake up, sleepyheads. It's party time.
1: You're still still listening. This
0: is our final transmission. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Sam. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. We're here.
0: We're here. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) <laughs> so uh welcome welcome everyone. Today we're talking about um a fantastic horror movie. that I'm almost reluctant to call horror for a lot of reasons, but nonetheless we're calling it a horror movie today. It's Trick or Treat. From 1986. 1986s Trick or Treat, otherwise known as Ragman.
1: Yeah, you watched it under the title Ragman, right?
0: I did. Uh I was very surprised to see the opening credit crawl uh, titled Ragman because I was pretty sure I was watching Trick or Treat, but can you explain that, Jamie? Do you know where that is?
1: I mean, his nickname is Ragman.
0: Yeah. So, but why have two acting titles? Why is um, the movie out in? I don't
1: know different territories. Maybe mm. um, I don't know which territories it was called Ragman in. It was called Trick mm. or Treat in the at least in the UK and in the US. Interesting. I have a Region One DVD, and that's Trick or Treat. Weird, weird, bad title. Trick or Treat also bad title.
0: Both terrible titles. Yeah. <laughs> Both I mean, deeply off-putting.
1: Trick or Treat maybe says something like, oh, it's Halloween, let's watch a Trick or Treat Halloween movie. I mean, it's yeah. it's ostensibly that, but not really.
0: From a marketing point of view, calling a movie Trick or Treat maybe means that people watch it at Halloween. Exactly. Short. And yes, the movie is set at Halloween, but it has far all cool to do with anything else apart from... Uh, yeah, you know, some brief mentions. It's it's not like Halloween centric, is it? It's not. No. It's not even quintessential, quintessentially like Halloween viewing. There's no like. It's not. We're not overrun with. Anyway, should we talk? About... <laughs> should we talk about the yeah, movie? Yeah.
1: Why don't you? Why don't you give us a synopsis?
0: Okay, in a small North Carolina town, I think it's North Carolina based on one license plate that you see in the whole movie. Uh, a young man called Eddie Weinbauer, aka Ragman, uh is having a rough time. He's bullied at school. His high school obviously sucks. And his life is kind of slowly capitulating around him. The only thing keeping him in the game is his love of uh, a rock star called Sammy Kerr, who he's obsessed with. And he writes letters to the guy and um he's his only reason for staying alive basically. He tells Sammy Kerr in these letters that he's keeping him in the game. So he's having a rough time Eddie, Eddie Weinbauer and um his hero dies. Sammy Kerr perishes in a fire, and throughout the course of the movie, Sammy Kerr is resurrected in a number of ways, namely through the stereo system of Eddie Weinbauer and mayhem ensues. I think that's safe to say that's essentially the start, middle, and end of the entire movie. Yeah, um, so we get to know Eddie Weinbauer. We get to know the Ragman himself. We get deep under the skin of Sammy Kerr and we meet a cast of crazy rock and roll characters throughout the movie Trick or Treat, a.k.a. Ragman.
1: Including Gene Simmons.
0: Including Gene Simmons and including Ozzy Osbourne.
1: Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll chat the fuck out of this movie.
0: I'm exhausted. Let's take a break. (laughs) Come on, man. Does that thing even work? No. There's nothing out there. It's just dead air.
1: Psst, Sam.
0: Watch. So
1: do you know the song that we play at the start of the show yes it's great it's is great isn't it that's by a band called the lillingtons and they've got an album which is one of my all time favorite records which is called death by television oh it's a great record yeah and it's out on red scare industries no it came out probably what 20 years ago now it's really fucking old it came
0: out in the 40s
1: yeah well Red Scare are celebrating 20 years, but it didn't come out in the year that it started, so I don't really know how that works. We can't do the maths. No, and I refuse to, but Red Scare also sponsored this podcast, and Death by Television is full of bangers, and you should buy it. I mean, you probably already own it, right?
0: I already own it big time.
1: No, me too. Fuck yeah. But if you're listening to this, you should buy it. Check out the entire Red Scare back catalogue. You really should. You should. Go do it. Yeah. Let's get back to the the talking about films. Let's talk louder. Okay, so Trick or Treat, directed by Charles Martin Smith, who is a character actor. You might know him from American Graffiti. You might know him from The Untouchables. You might know him from Trick or Treat, where he cameos as the principal. Didn't direct an awful lot of movies. And looking at Trick or Treat, it's hard to figure out why, really. I think think this film started off quite a lot of, or was pretty early doors in quite a lot of big careers. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was written by Rhett Topham and Michael S. Murphy. Michael S. Murphy is just a, basically a producer now. I think he got out of writing pretty quick after this. Rhett Topham has written a few other things, 976 Evil, which is on the list, directed by Robert England, and also a couple of episodes of Freddy's Nightmares continuing in that Robert England, sphere.
0: Um, buds? Are they buds, Robert England, and I mean... Are they, are they good chums, do you think?
1: You, you would assume so based on the fact that they worked together a number of times. Mm. But I don't know for sure. Okay. An interesting thing here is that the writers, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who uh, went on to write some of the best X-Files episodes, they did an, uh, an uncredited polish of the script, where they sort of tightened up a lot of dialogue. Glenn Morgan also plays Roger, which is why he gets all the best lines, I'm guessing. <laughs> but yeah, they wrote Squeeze, Tombs, Home, which is the most brutal X-Files episode. The,
0: you yeah, know, you're not lying when you say that these are the best X-Files episodes. Well, I mean, these are the era peak
1: yeah, I mean, Darren Morgan, who I think is uh, Glenn Morgan's brother, wrote all my mm. favourite X-Files episodes, which is like Clyde Brookman's or um, Jose Chung's from Outer Space.
0: Yeah, you, you love that shit.
1: I do. Like, I, I love how fucking goofy and great it is. Clyde Brookman's is my favourite episode of the X-Files ever. I watch it, you yeah. know, maybe every three weeks.
0: Every three weeks.
1: Yeah, no, it's fucking great.
0: That's like as often as I take a vitamin, you, you're watching that episode. That's they great. also wrote
1: Final Destination together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they show ran Millennium, which I, I loved Millennium. I don't know if you ever watched it. I didn't know. It was a bit of an X-Files spin-off. It had the the Three Horsemen in it. Mm.
0: Um, but they had their own spin-off, right? They, they
1: did have their own spin-off:
0: The Lone Gunman. The Lone Gunman, yeah. yeah. Not, the
1: th- not the Three Horsemen.
0: Three Horsemen. <laughs> That's great.
1: But yeah, it had Lance Henriksen in it. Yeah. It was fucking great.
0: I think maybe I saw bits of that. I think maybe I confused it with Lone Gunman. But that's some serious writing pedigree, some great careers, and some some stuff that really holds up. You know, if you're watching it every three weeks, that's that's serious quality.
1: Clyde Brookman's is, I think, maybe not only the best episode of X-File, but maybe the best episode of TV ever.
0: Wow, that sounds like a Patreon episode.
1: Yeah? All right, well, I won't mention anything else about it then. Because I want your fucking money.
0: Damn right. Sign up to our Patreon.
1: But it also was uh, shot by Robert Elswit, uh, mm-hmm. who had a major career, went on to basically work exclusively with Paul Thomas Anderson. So There Will Be Blood, Punished Love, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, any other Paul Thomas Anderson films that you can probably think of.
0: I mean, these are huge. These guys have gone on to yeah, massive, massive things. Not long after this, you know... We're sort of saying that Ragman slash Trick or Treat kicks off some of these careers. These people are using a lot of their skill and pedigree in this movie. I think, albeit in a much more low-fi, low-budge kind of way. But they definitely uh, aren't like figuring out their craft in this movie. I don't think they're they're ready to rip, right?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, I'm not sure about the cinematography. I'm not sure if it's especially good. I think it's pretty functional. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go as far as to say it's bad, but in a charming way. We'll yeah, get to absolutely.
1: That. Robert Elswit only made two horror films mm. back in back in the 80s, at least. It was this, and it was Return of the Living Dead 2. Right. And they kind of look identical in as mm-hmm. much as they both look like fucking dog shit. crazy to think that he would go on and make some of the most beautiful films of the 2000s yeah. and the 2010s. Like, There Will Be Blood is... I mean, it's fucking boring, but mm-hmm. it's... But it's beautiful. Oh,
0: I think it's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan.
1: Like I love it, but I think it's it's a it's a film about characters and visuals and, and mm. little little else, really.
0: Yeah, and and its biggest strength is I think the visuals. You know, it I think it does have a really cool story and incredible performances, but yeah, it's noteworthy because of striking, arresting visuals. And and for it to be from the same mind <laughs> and hands as Trick or Treat is pretty astonishing. This movie has a very muffled fuzzy-edged charm to it um, that, that looks and feels very VHS from start to finish.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's maybe the difference between Charles Martin Smith, the guy from The Untouchables, and Paul Thomas Anderson.
0: I, I love the cover of this movie. I'd never heard of this movie until you slid it in front of me. And the, the cover that I had is, a, is a, a flaming pumpkin with Sammy Kerr shredding a solo, leaping out of the centre, and the word trick-or-treat in cool, scratchy orange writing around the bottom edge. Uh, and it just looks amazing. I think it, it's immediately something that I want to watch as soon as I see the cover.
1: The DVD that I have has a terrible cover, which is just a picture of Gene Simmons and uh, Ozzy Osbourne and maybe a spooky house.
0: <laughs> that sucks.
1: Like, it's just like, watch this movie because these people are in it.
0: Yeah, which I bet worked.
1: I mean, I bought it. There you go. And it's like, <laughs> they're like build as well so it's not like hey they're in it it's like these guys get top billing this is like Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne they're buddy cops they solve the mystery of the (laughs) fucked up bat or whatever like
0: (laughs) yeah the mystery of the love gun I think uh (laughs) combined screen time of like two minutes maybe (laughs) I mean, Gene a little bit more, Aussie, thankfully less. Absolutely.
1: Aussie um, Osborne is so bad in this.
0: And like, he's,
1: it's very yeah. clear that they've done their best to cut around all of his best stuff and just leave yeah. it on the screen. And what is left is fucking awful.
0: It is trash, yeah. But he's bad, full stop. You know, I've never seen him on a TV and thought, wow, he's really good at that. Well, he's like, good at being
1: Aussie in, in the Osbournes.
0: Yeah, I guess. I just can't stomach it. Like, It just rubs me up the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Gene Simmons, however, I think is great in this.
0: Pretty much fucking flawless.
1: Yeah, his his like Wolfman Jack type DJ yeah. is spot on.
0: Well, he said that was his way of paying tribute to Wolfman Jack, right? Because he kind of grew up with that. And I think he nails it. And he, he's quite... He's not... You know, I mean, it's not a nuanced performance by any means, but it's a very natural performance. He doesn't come across like a rocker who's trying his hand at acting. He comes across as like a pretty decent actor who, you know, we obviously know is the bit, (laughs) at the time, probably one of the biggest rock stars on planet Earth. So it's pretty incredible to see him just sort of slip into that role so seamlessly. And he, he doesn't Ham it up that he's Gene Simmons, he he really occupies that space and convincingly is nuke the DJ.
1: I think there's like a couple of like Wolfman Jack performances that I've seen in movies where people are playing mm. like versions of Wolfman Jack. And this is by far the best. The other one that's kind of good is in a really bad fucking movie, which is um it's Joe Manginello in the Smiths movie, in the movie Um what's it called? It's oh, it's a movie about the Smiths. It's like airheads, but it's about the Smiths. It's fucking it's awful. Okay. It's about like a bunch of Smiths fans that break into a.
0: Oh yeah, I deliberately avoided it because it looked terrible.
1: I mean, it's 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 bad, but it's fine. But it's but it's okay. bad. But the Joe Manginello performance is really good, right? And he's like, he's like the, the the heart of that movie, and he's like explaining to these kids that are obsessed with the Smiths, and he's forced, he's being forced to play the Smiths at his like rock and roll radio station. That like right. we're all singing about the same things, man. Like it's. It's all the same stuff, um, yes. which is a, a, a cool part of that movie. But again, the movie
0: sucks. Yeah, but I I loved what Gene Simmons brought to that role because it could have been really throwaway. You know, it's a very kind of hero's journey type role. He's obviously the mentor, and he you know he gives Ragman the the acetate vinyl that ends up channeling Sammy Kerr's um damned soul back into the plane of reality that we all exist on. And it's just he he. I was really worried that it was gonna be some obnoxious rock star performance, like coke fueled maniac behaviour from start to finish. But he's very mellow. It's it's um almost feels very deliberate to take that opposite track to to kind of throw people in and keep people guessing, I thought it was really well done.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you when you sort of juxtapose that against the fact that it's like one of Michael Jackson's backup dancers playing Sammy Kerr, exactly. Yeah, it's like you would absolutely think that Gene Simmons would be in that over-the-top, insane role. I hate Sammy Kerr in this movie. Really, but I like the character, but I think the guy—I just don't like him.
0: Like I don't <laughs> I fucking love him. I think. Let's go. I think
1: he's. I think he's too ugly. And right. not charismatic enough to be believable as, like, a big rock star. Okay. Like, they wanted Blackie Lawless to play the character, mm-hmm. Blackie Lawless from Wasp. Blackie Lawless is fucking ugly, right? Right. But he's charismatic up the wazoo. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, like, with... What's his name? Tony Fields. You, you mm. get a guy who sort of looks like a rock star, but doesn't... He looks like if you put... Robert Davies' head on like a rock star's body. He looks like, I don't know, Lou Diamond Phillips, but I don't know if, if LaBamba was about Ozzy Osbourne. It's like, it's, 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 it's not, it's not good.
0: Uh, I just don't. He looks like Steven Tyler with a hangover. I, I, yeah, I hear you, but that made it more believable to me because a lot of, like you've just rattled off a list, a lot of rock frontmen are not like classically handsome dudes. They're pretty haggard and, unconventionally attractive I think and it's the charisma that carries it yeah but
1: he doesn't have the charisma
0: but he has the anger and that's crucial to his role right the, the whole point of his character is that he's angry and he's so angry in life he's railing against the system the whole time in life and then when he dies he's so fucking angry he comes back to kill people <laughs> I think if you had a really charismatic front person who was also good looking it'd be harder to believe that they were so rage-filled that even after death they're on a quest to punish the normies, <laughs> you know?
1: But, like, the specific normies of the one guy that writes to him.
0: True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, Who is also not really a normie.
1: Yeah. Yet. It's a, a pretty questionable relationship there.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I like that, because you're not expecting the twist, which we'll talk about, obviously.
1: I wanted to ask you, are they corresponding before the events of this film?
0: Oh, yeah, I think so. I don't think that's the first letter. I think... So, the opening scene is basically... Ragman writing to Sammy Kerr, and it gives us a bit of background and a bit of insight into his life. We get this montage of his high school existence where he's fairly brutally bullied, uh, and it culminates in, you know, w- what is kind so, of a funny scene. I
1: think I think the phrase "fairly brutally" is, is quite
0: funny. <laughs> well, this is it, right? At first, it's quite playful bullying. You think, and it looks like he can kind of handle it, and it's part of the course. And then it, it gets yeah, really then quite then to later him. in the movie exactly yeah he's tried they try to kill him a couple of times but in this opening montage which is you know soundtracked by we'll get to the soundtrack but it's absolutely rocking he gets uh pushed over when he gets out of the shower and he somehow sprawls into the girls volleyball training uh with the door slammed shut behind him and the the jocks keep his towel so he's naked laying face down in a vo- which is funny at first and then you realize it's actually really fucking painful and tragic yeah. and he has to like spin himself around while laying on his front keeping his dick to the floor and like shuffle out of the room and someone takes a polaroid of his ass and you know we see that his life is pretty miserable um and his vehicle to kind of deal with this is to write to his hero and uh you know express the frustration because sammy kerr went to the same high school and graduated and went on to be this incredible world conquering rock star that he worships. And that, that's that's how we get into this movie. That's how we meet Ragman, it's how we meet his best friend Roger, it's how we meet Tim, his antagonist and bully, and it's how we meet Leslie, his love interest.
1: Yeah, I think just before that, it sort of sets out a bit of a stall with like panning slowly over his posters in his bedroom mm-hmm. where he's got like anthrax posters. What else? There's a Judas Priest it's- calendar, there's mm-hmm. a Raven poster. Um, a D Snyder poster, not Twisted Sister, Just D Snyder, which is weird. Yeah,
0: just D, he's got a thing for frontmen.
1: Yeah, so it it sort of sets out its store quite early that this is like you're meant to think that Sammy Kerr is on this level. I'm not sure if I do. Mm. I think maybe he's like locally famous. He's playing a high school on on Halloween in like.
0: Yeah, I, d- I don't. I don't get the impression at any point that he's necessarily, uh, you know, Gene Simmons level rock star, oh. but. To this kid, he's he's done the thing that he wants to do, which is get out of this town and get away. And um, he obviously loves his music and has an enormous poster of him right above his bed. What kind of posters did you have growing up?
1: Anything that I would cut out of Kerrang. Mm. So I was really obsessed with, there was a shop in Wrexham that sold old Kerrangs, like 80s Kerrangs. And so I was nice. big into like 80s stuff. When if you, t- if you tune into this week's Patreon episode, you'll hear me wax lyrical about 80s metal. And Sam, you're going to talk about some 80s metal as well, I guess. But
0: I'm going to try and play along. <laughs> I'm going to join in.
1: So, yeah, so I used to cut out all the posters from, like, Kerrang! Some modern stuff, some stuff from the old days. Did you ever read, like, old Kerrang? Pandora was called Pandora Peroxide. Yeah, my it.
0: my buddy's dad collected uh, every Kerrang from issue one. Nice. Uh, he, he collected every Kerrang from issue one, and he he videotaped off of Top of the Pops every rock performance from the dawn of time. So just had this curated collection of all the best like rock performances from Top of the Pops plus every Kerrang ever. It was amazing. I wonder if you
1: used to watch Popped In Crashed Out at like one thirty on a Saturday morning. Which was like the <laughs> the pop quiz show hosted by then editor of Kerrang Phil Alexander. It was great. I oh remember.
0: wow. Okay. And they would have
1: like, I don't know, rock guests on it. It was like a panel show but for rock musicians and but they were was they were never They were never good. Yeah, it was pretty chaotic. It was on a half one in the morning on like Yeah. Friday night or Saturday night or whatever. I remember Queen Adrena being on it. I loved Queen Adrena.
0: Wow, I bet you did. I
1: I feel like Ginger from the Wild Hearts was on it quite a lot, but maybe just because it was just the time.
0: The reason I ask about posters is I I was obsessed with having posters on the walls that accurately reflected what I was listening to at the time. And I'd mm. I'd do exactly what you did. I'd buy all the magazines and take all the posters out, and I would go to HMV and go through the racks obsessively. And um, I had an enormous Beavis and Butthead poster that I was really proud of. When I went round to my fiancé's childhood bedroom for the first time, uh, we'd already been together for several years, and I went round and she invited me into her her old bedroom. The first thing I saw when I walked in was a Sammy Kerr-sized poster above her bed of Denzel Washington. <laughs> And I was like, "Oh shit!" Oh no. Okay, I don't. So I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty wild. <laughs> That's such a weird this... poster. Just like I know, right? Wow. He's he's smoldering in a white vest as well, with his tattoo, like sticking his tattoo forward. It's uh, it's quite the sight. Still there to this day.
1: King Kong ain't got nothing on him.
0: I offered to put it in our bedroom, you know. Yeah. But, pff, no, she said no. Weird.
1: What were we talking about? Posters. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he has he has all these posters in his room. Yeah, none of them are of Denzel Washington. So that's how we set out the story of the movie, and then you find out about his bullying, which does escalate slowly throughout the movie. Not that slowly. Mm. There's the uh, he he gets a bit of confidence in that one scene, and there's that whole comedy chase scene, which is pretty fun.
0: The chase scene, I think, is fantastic. It's it's kind of a it's a change of pace and a slight change in tone but it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't belong. It feels a little bit slapstick at times, but it's really well done. It, it feels evocative of 80s teen comedies of the time, Yeah. but it still has that heavy metal vibe, and you're still invested, I think, in the chase. It doesn't feel so silly that you don't think there's any stakes because you know that if they catch him, he's done. Yeah. You know, he's absolutely done. Like
1: they've already tried to drown him at this point, so you know that he's in real trouble if they catch him.
0: Yeah, he gets invited to this weird break into the school swimming pool after hours party. Yeah. Um where loads of people are skinny dipping and there's loads of drinking and it's actually shot quite nicely, I thought. It looked like it was awful to shoot because the light looks horrendous. Mm. But they do manage to get all the cool water ripples playing on the ceiling and on people's faces and stuff, yeah. which I thought made up for it big time. And that's a that's a tough scene. There's a really good shot in that where he is pushed into the water. By Tim his bully and he has his backpack and heavy coat on and he just fully sinks and you get this great shot from under the water looking up at the gang of bullies on the edge of the swimming pool which I thought was a really lovely shot and then Leslie dives in to save him you get to see her swimming down towards him I thought that was quite well done and I bet it was a real challenge given yeah. the budgetary restraints
1: well they so not only did he have just his backpack on they put a weight in his backpack so he would fully sink
0: yeah, they slip a weight in there and then push him into the water. That's, you know, desperately cruel. And, and by this point in the movie, we've seen quite a lot of Ragman's life. Yeah, We've seen, uh, so they, they they punch a hole in his milk so it all spills down his top. Uh, and his revenge is to, to, you know, flip the tray in the guy's face the next day, I think. And then this this chase ensues. But we also see uh, what what I find to be one of the most convincing relationships in the movie is his relationship with his friend roger yeah i think glenn morgan does an amazing job as roger and you're right he probably gave himself the best lines but he carries this movie for me without him ragman starts to get a bit 2d and you bring glenn morgan in who is genuinely a good friend he's always offering to to be there for Ragman if he needs to talk. He does his bidding like gets him out of a bind here and there. And he he really puts himself on the line at the end of the movie. So love that character, love that relationship. So you see that Ragman has stuff going for him in his life. His mom obviously cares about him. He does have a love interest. He's he's maybe not as suicidal as his melodramatic letters to his rockstar hero suggest. But he is being, you know, furiously bullied when this this chase ensues. But it's great. You know, he shouts eat this and flips the tray into Tim's face. And it's kind of high school movie bliss the way they're running around. Uh, it's a classic run around with um, you know when they when they run through the library they sprint in and then they go into a stiff walk as they walk past the librarian. Yeah, I love that it's great and then they sprint off again and it's genuinely funny when they when they burst into the band rehearsal uh, and they collapse into some of the musicians. A kid gets. Fully beamed in the face with a symbol, God. like it hits him, like hits him, like edge on straight into his cheekbone, and he's like, ah, like diving off to one side. So stuff like that just makes it look and feel really real. Awful cameras, but great shots. Yeah, some really good stuff in there. And it
1: has that sort of really fun twist ending where they they jump, they barge in on what they think is Eddie, and it's the teachers' lounge, mm. and they spray the teachers with a fire extinguisher or whatever. Great. Yeah, it's great. Really yeah, good. Really good. And, and a full
0: setup. Yeah, Ragman sets that up. He's a schemer. We start to see him as a guy who can put stuff together. This is the part of the movie where we're supposed to realise he can stand up for himself, but he's cunning and wily more than strong. And that kind of plays into his... I don't know. He's just kind of a playmaker in the movie rather than a heavy hitter. And we start to see that early on. Good character development, I think. Yeah. All that serves a purpose. It's not just throw away silly stuff. It's just done really well. Yeah,
1: it's worth saying that Eddie Winebar is played by Mark Price, who is the sort of nerdy neighbour kid in Family Ties, which is kind Mm -hmm. of the role that Roger plays in this. But I sort of, I really buy him as like that Mosher outcast because I don't know about you, but when I was 15, I guess I thought I was Gene Simmons, but I definitely looked more like this kid.
0: Oh, for sure. He's so convincing because he's really kind and softly spoken and nice. And most metalheads who are truly metalheads that you meet... (laughs) are way more like that yeah. than they are obnoxious party animal municipal waste wasteoids. You know, he's super convincing to me because he is a total outcast, but only because he listens to a type of music that people in the mainstream don't like. He's not yeah. a devil worshipping psychopath who, you know, cuts up animals in his spare time. He's just a no. really nice kid.
1: But he but Sammy Kerr is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sammy Kerr's a proper angry psycho, yeah.
1: The 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 implication is, and it's it's kind of subtle in the movie, is that he So there's like an opening monologue Which I guess is meant to be Sammy Kerr Mm. Where he says um, I wrote it down here Go bear these tidings to great Lucifer Uh, Say he surrenders up to him the soul So he will spare him four and twenty years Give me whatsoever I demand To slay my enemies and aid my friends And always be obedient to my will Is that him in the hotel room? Like doing this incantation So he can I don't know come back and beat up some bullies in a high school
0: the the hotel room scene is fantastic it's the first really scary part of the movie it's the first first hint that this is a horror movie really we see sammy kerr sitting cross-legged in a pentagram that's on fire in a hotel room with his kind of presumably bandmates but possibly like satanic minions behind him moving around in that kind of jerky you know red lodge kind of way um black lodge sorry red lodge is a town in Suffolk. Uh, And he's talking backwards in that creepy record played backwards way, um, and that's obviously his, his. What we see of his death scene essentially he died in a hotel fire, um, and it is really creepy. And it, it does start to to hint that the movie has a much darker side than all this high school bullying, hijink stuff. Uh, and yeah, I think that is Sammy Kerr's voice. I, it, it's supposed to be like a you know a biblical incantation about satan and and loyalty to your master etc and it you know we find out later on that sammy kerr's big thing is that if you're not loyal to him you will be destroyed so uh, yeah i think that's pretty safe to say that that is the connective tissue there that's his his incantation at death. I
1: just find it so weird that you would sacrifice yourself mm. specifically so you can come back and kill some bullies at a school. Not your bullies, just like some kids at a school. Like 16 year old, you're 38, he's 38, he's the same age as I am now. Yeah, same. If I was still brooding about <laughs> the people that bullied me in, hu- yeah. in high school, or the people that bullied a kid that I know yeah, who is no relation to me, just some <laughs> kid that writes me a letter every now and then. Yeah. I just find it to be a problematic relationship. I almost <laughs> on a par with the problematic relationship between Nuke and Eddie as well.
0: Like <laughs> you think that's problematic?
1: Like he's he's in his forties. Why is he friends with a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old kid?
0: He's like the the wizened old man who takes him under his wing. He's not like fingering him. I
1: mean, he might be.
0: He might be. I, it, it just it's. I didn't read it like that. I didn't read that Sammy Kerr deliberately. Perished in a hotel fire in order to come back and help Bragman. And I read it as he died accidentally in a hotel fire when he was worshipping the devil, shout at the devil style, and he was resurrected fortuitously by Nuke handing the accursed acetate to Bragman. Okay. That was his, Ragman's, his conduit to come back into reality and wreak havoc and just sort of
1: all right, all blast right.
0: out his unfocused rage. But that's just how I read it. How you read it is just as valid because it's never defined in the movie. We just get one flashback.
1: It isn't defined in the movie. And it's also, it's just pretty
0: weird. It's pretty tenuous. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get hung up on it because I just thought he's back. <laughs> that's what I wrote in my notes.
1: <laughs> it's, it's just weird to me that he's like, okay, I'm back. What is the best use of my time? Now I have returned to Earth from beyond the grave. I guess I'll kill a bunch of teenagers at a high school dance.
0: I'll play that gig that I was supposed to play.
1: Like, literally, with a band who I've never met, who know all the songs somehow.
0: From time to time, I would quite like to die instead of playing a gig. (laughs) And he comes... He forfeits that excuse and comes back from the dead to play the gig. (laughs) It makes no sense. Yeah, it's... I, I just don't care about that because the way he comes back is kind of cool. And I like that the record is a conduit for his tormented soul. And I like the Ragman is kind of his pawn as well as his summoner. The movie has to have a bad guy. Well, not a bad guy. It has to have an antagonist of some kind. It has to have a, an evil. We, we don't really have that until Sammy Kerr starts to turn on Ragman. We have this like union of quote unquote good versus evil. Ragman and Sammy versus the bullies and versus everything that's wrong with society and versus the persecutors and the oppressors. And then that dynamic slowly twists and warps in quite a clever way, and what we actually have is a new enemy who was once our hero, essentially. So I quite like that. It, it does keep you on your toes. You can kind of see it coming a little bit because Sammy Kerr is never at any point a goodie. <laughs> you know, he's always doing evil things, but he's doing them to the right people in the beginning. So I like I like how that works, and I don't I don't question it too much. I I think. He died by accident and used used Ragman as his vehicle back into reality. And it might be that we're under underplaying the significance of Halloween here. Halloween is when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. Maybe it's only possible for Sammy to come back around Halloween.
1: Yeah, maybe. In order for him to come back, they need to play the record backwards.
0: At midnight on Halloween or whatever it is.
1: Well, they play play it backwards before that, and that's when he first comes back. And then they always have to play the play the the record whenever he comes back, even if, mm. if it's on cassette. They play so much of that record backwards, and it makes sense that it must be awful to listen to the right way round.
0: I bet it rips. I mean, I bet it's great. I bet it's sludge.
1: And then also, Nuke is going to play it backwards at midnight on Halloween. It's not Halloween anymore at midnight, but whatever.
0: And then also, good point.
1: That's just bad fucking radio, right?
0: again yes and no like (laughs) in the context of the movie i'm so into it because i'm like whoa that's that's so fuck you i'm gonna play a, a totally unheard one in a million dead rock stars last record that no one's ever heard backwards first before i play it forwards because it's midnight at halloween that's seriously metal i was really into that
1: i mean it's pretty metal but it also is pretty nonsensical
0: but it would make you laugh if it happened in real life, right? If you were listening to radio on Halloween, like, yeah.
1: I wouldn't listen to the 50-minute full record backwards.
0: Do
1: you know I, what I mean? thought
0: it was like a single. I didn't realise it was a whole album.
1: Can we talk through, when Samiko returns, can we talk through his powers?
0: His powers? Yeah. He has the power to shoot electricity? He does.
1: He has the power to possess machinery, a car, a lathe.
0: Great, great line in the lathe scene. Did the headbanger bang his head? I thought that was great. (laughs) He has
1: the power to pull people into speakers.
0: He does. He has the power to pull people out of televisions or kill them through them. Yeah. Pretty cool. He has
1: the power to shoot electricity out of his fingers at will, Mm -hmm. also out of his guitar, but also sometimes he needs to put his finger in a socket.
0: Dumbest dumbest scene in the movie by a country mile I found that to be such a ruinous move in an otherwise really smooth sequence <laughs> Sammy Kerr sucks his finger while holding who is it? Tim, Tim. holding yeah. Tim up against the wall and puts his finger in a plug socket and electrocutes the guy through it it fucking blows that is a bad move I'm gonna guess that you liked it No, I'm <laughs> oh, good I'm glad it's, it's stupid it's really stupid.
1: But, like, because he doesn't need to do that. He's no. been firing electricity, apropos of nothing, for ages. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you like... want to see you want to see Tim fucking annihilated, right? You, you yeah. hate Tim by this point. He hasn't just bullied the hero of the movie the entire way through. He hasn't just been a dick to him, but he bowls into a girl's bathroom, pins her against the wall and kisses her against a wheel, and then slaps her as hard as he can. Just sucks front to back. And all yeah, he, he gets so is finger licking good electrocution against the wall. We I want to see him I want to see his head blow up. I want to see yeah. him suffer. And we don't get it. It's one of the only pulled punches of the movie that didn't work for me.
1: It's like the the powers are all over the place. He also can turn into a smoke monster and have Oh yeah. smoky smoky sex with teenage girls in cars.
0: What did you think of that scene? Cuz I thought that was bonkers.
1: It's such a weird product of like '80s movies. Mm. It's like it's like a, a thing that you would only write if you'd only seen '80s movies. Do you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> if that was your frame of reference.
1: Yeah, like we we fed we fed an AI 500 <laughs> '80s movies, and it came <laughs> up with this headphones demon sex scene, <laughs>
0: like. So she's she's laying in a car having just fucked Tim and Tim bails and is it well, Tim?
1: they've not fu- they've not fucked yet Oh okay he, they were they were they were getting to it and he decided that he needed a piss. So she puts on right the the tape that was given to him by Ragman mm-hmm. uh, in her 80s headphones with the little fluffy ear bits that yeah. we all had back in the late 80s early 90s and she sort of seduced uh, emotionally, but also physically, by the music. There's like a wispy little smoke monster that's like slowly taking her clothes off. Like it's obviously creepy as fuck, but it's played like it's meant to be sexy.
0: Yeah, it it makes you feel weird. It's it's Ray, the Ray from Ghostbusters scene where he gets a hummer from a ghost and in a kids yeah. movie. <laughs> Except yeah. it's way like her eyes don't cross. She's massively into it um, uh,
1: until until she sees that it's a giant demon with a big tongue.
0: Which never comes back. Never and makes comes no back. Sense. A giant no. rubber demon in the car in front of her, just like flopping its tongue around. Yeah, out of nowhere for about two seconds and then gone forever.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's gratuitous and it's super weird. I mean, mm. it's it's kind of great.
0: It's our only gore scene when Tim gets back in the car and pulls the headphones off her head. It's just and they've melted her ears. Oh, yeah, it's so good, gooey, I love that. sloppy ear mess. It was brilliant. Really good. Like
1: I, I think the 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 gooey ears when she when they when he pulls the headphones off her ears Mm. is like my defining image of this film i think that's the the coolest visual and it's pretty good it's like
0: melted marshmallow it's 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 really well done it's great some solid makeup work there um and i and i like that whole scene it just feels a little bit strange in the context of the movie it doesn't make any sense and i think you're right i think it's just you know gratuitous for the sake of gratuity yeah we haven't talked about Alice Nunn playing Mrs. Sylvia Cavell. Alice Nunn, we all know, is Large Marge from mm. Pee-wee's Adventure. She doesn't do a lot. She's not in it a whole bunch. But she is one of Sammy Kerr's victims, I think, because he does reach into the telly, pull her out, and blow and her She's off. tiny, yeah. Yeah, she is, she's teensy, yeah.
1: It's so funny. Yeah. Like, all the all the horror scenes in this are, are basically played for laughs, apart from the demon car long-tongue scene that we just talked about. Yeah, the years. Yeah, it's it's so goofy and funny, but like I think I think she just explodes right once once he pulls out the TV. I think yeah. The the big issue with this is that everyone just sort of explodes.
0: Yeah, except the guy you want to explode.
1: Well, he explodes too, but like it's they just sort of disappear and leave their clothes behind. Do you know what I mean? The, the, it's like
0: oh, dude, when when Sammy Kerr gets the cop. And that it pans down to his boots, and then he explodes, and it pans up, and he's just gone, and his boots are smoking. I mean, it's, I love that. Yeah, it's superb. I absolutely love it.
1: I mean, it's a, that's that's a shot ripped directly from Repo Man, which I love yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, it's purely. It, it's about as eighties as it gets. It's as cheap as it gets, and it's very. I Reaper think Man.
1: sometimes that's better than showing the explosion.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's fun.
1: The feeling that you get, like the the gun drops on the floor, and you're like, oh shit, something's happened, and then the boots. Yeah. are smoking smoking boots are one of my all-time favorite tropey visuals I love it yeah it's But great. yeah like at, at the Halloween concert dance scene yeah when he's just sort of firing his electric guitar electric guitar hmm, mm. Um firing that firing the electric into the crowd people are just like disappearing and leaving their clothes behind
0: some kids blow up there's a couple of good detonations
1: yeah not not enough though.
0: Not enough, no. I'd probably, again, probably budget. But like the kids that do blow up is great, and it does make you want all of them to blow up. Um, mm. I was kind of hoping for all of the kids to die, as I always do in every movie, but mostly just for parity. Like, the, the kids that die are totally randomly blown up by Sammy Kerr, and some of them could have been good kids. It's probably better that you just blow them all up and burn the school down, but he yeah. doesn't. He lets the vast majority of them escape.
1: I believe the phrase is, kill them all and let God sort them out.
0: Well, he does... Sammy Kerr has a couple of great lines in this that really creep you out. When he's first talking to Ragman through the stereo, he, he, there's a great thing where the, the graphic EQ it like twitches up when he says certain things. He says, fuck em, and it goes to full on the, on the EQ, which looks great. Yeah. And he does say... Um, where, 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 there's a really great scene where... I think it's great. Sammy Kerr is trying to get Ragman to do his evil bidding. And they're having a bit of a shouting match and and Ragman's mom wants to come into his room, but he won't let her. And Sammy starts imitating his voice and saying, come in, mom. And he's like, don't come in, mom. And it's pretty funny, but it's also quite scary. And Mm -hmm. this is a bit where he says, let her in, we'll nail her too. It's just really good. It's really ominous. Th- those are the only bits that really unnerve me. There's a great low humming kind of score thing happening in the background. Sammy's voice is pretty creepy and it's all getting a bit out of control. And we feel for Ragman because we really like him. we see him as like a kind, compassionate, misunderstood only rocker in the high school character. And we don't want him to be blown up by Sammy Kerr's electric dick. So we're worried for him at that point, I think. And that, that the movie does that well.
1: The thing that really unnerves me is probably the opening scene where Eddie is writing this letter to Sammy Kerr. And mm. he's using these phrases like deadheads and airheads. And he quotes Sammy as saying that Rock's chosen warriors will rule the apocalypse or whatever it is. Yeah. And I feel like that stuff plays pretty differently in like a school shooting every six minutes economy that we currently live in. Like, yeah. post, post, say, Columbine, that stuff feels pretty icky.
0: It does. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and it's like, I know, the whole plot of, like, outcast, bullied kid gets his revenge on the kids at school by, mm. you know, killing them all indiscriminately. Yeah. It does feel a bit odd in a, in a world where that stuff happens and happens yeah. so fucking regularly.
0: But it's cool that this is done... In a really campy way, it's it's. Mm. I think it's healthy school shooter escapism. It's uh, and it's obviously pre. It's it's pre like you said. It, it's it's before school shootings become so common that yeah. it's you know it's something we're all constantly aware of. And it it kind of harks back to maybe a slightly simpler time because we're able to go on this very silly campy journey through you know a revenge tale about a bullied kid without necessarily the baggage of. of you know modern school shooting mayhem
1: yeah i guess this is like the escapism that ultimately might lead not lead i'm not blaming this film for anything but like sure. the, the sort of oh wouldn't it be nice if i could do this sort of escapism that you that you and me and basically everybody who was bullied at school had like they'll fucking get theirs one day no they won't they're probably fucking ceos now and i have a podcast
0: yeah exactly (laughs) but that's the real life message the real life message is that you have to persevere and and find the things that you love in life and and make the most of your existence right but the the movie message is rock stars come back from the dead and help you kill them all you know that's that's what movies are right they're fun they're supposed to be you know they're supposed these kind of movies are supposed to be a silly goose time to escape that brutal punishment um like sure but
1: i think like the the feeling that this taps into is the same feeling that maybe some people who are less hinged can do you know what i mean like they they might be like well i feel like they're gonna get theirs and i've also got access to a fuckload of guns so
0: i like less hinged as a polite way of saying mental i think that's great (laughs) less hinged I feel pretty less hinged these days. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. It it, it does definitely stir up some of those feelings in the pit of your stomach. Um, and you're right, especially in that letter writing scene. Uh, it made me think more along the lines of uh, you know obsessive fandom than it hmm. did along the lines of um, you know committing violent acts on fellow human beings. Like, did, did you ever write to any of your heroes? Any any rockers? Any musicians?
1: Uh, I wrote an email to Paulie Shaw once.
0: What? Wow! What were you saying to Paulie sure? Shaw? I don't know
1: just how much I loved California Man or Encino Man if you're American.
0: I love California Man, by the way.
1: And how much I loved Son-in-Law mm-hmm. and all of the movies that he made in in the sort of early nineties. And how he was a big, I don't know, inspiration to me to be myself. Fuck
0: yeah, dude!
1: In 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 the face of you know all these deadheads and airheads and uh, Encino's Chosen Warriors will <laughs> rule the apocalypse. and
0: <laughs> You and Brendan Fraser will ride to the salvation of all of us deadheads.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Me and Link- Link- Linkovich Chamovsky. Yeah. Uh, That's so take great. Take it back what's ours. Did you? Did you ever write to anyone?
0: I d- I basically, my whole life, I think I wrote letters to like people I admired that I didn't send. But I, d- I didn't write my first properly mailed fan letter until I was 37 years old. And I wrote to Keith nice. Morris. I managed to find Keith Morris's address uh, through a friend of a friend, and I wrote him like a two-page letter, just saying like, "You're fucking great." Like I read his book, My Damage, and it's one of the best rock books I've ever read. And I thought, what a tale of you just being a complete piece of shit and kind of persevering and working on yourself and becoming, you know, one of the craziest, raddest punks around. Uh, and I just <laughs> wrote him a letter saying, "Thanks for being cool." Did you get anything back? Fuck no. <laughs> I don't think Keith Morris even checks his mail. Do you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. I didn't get anything back from Paulie Shaw either. <laughs> I
0: think it's way more likely that Paulie Shaw would write back to you than Keith Morris would write back to anyone.
1: I feel like, do they both live in LA? Or yeah. do, not they? Yeah, yeah. Keith does, So yeah. Maybe they're like sitting together being like, oh, I got this fucking letter. Oh, do you know what? I got this email.
0: Imagine These if Keith guys. Morris and Paulie Shaw hang out. That would be amazing. So it's probably worth mentioning, one of the pivotal points in this movie is that Ragman asks Roger if he'll go and retrieve the killer tape, the tape that uh, melted the girl's ears. And Roger kind of reluctantly goes on this mission. It's one of my favorite scenes. Roger kind of decked out in like what nerdy Roger thinks is like criminal gear. Like he's got his beanie hat and a coat hanger and he he rides his bike over to Tim's house and he jimmies his way into the car and, and gets the tape back. And that's another moment where we get to see that friendship really you know showing its strength and the whole time he's saying i'm gonna get killed i'm gonna die and he's using the coat <laughs> hanger and he can't get in and then he realizes it's unlocked and he lets himself in and it's another bit of comic relief interesting this movie has so much comic relief when there's not actually that much dread to offset it so it has a yeah a lightness to it in moments like that It makes it
1: feel more like a comedy than a, than a horror film with with comedy elements to cut through it it's like it's just a comedy yeah
0: dare i say it's light-hearted horror <laughs> kind of yeah. is right um but he then is told to destroy that tape by Ragman. But Sammy Kerr tells him if he destroys it, he'll kill it. Yeah. So Roger's in a tricky spot. Roger ends up going to the high school dance and doing Sammy's bidding and playing it at the Halloween dance.
1: This uh, this sort of bit of plot mm. facilitates my least favourite exchange in the entire movie.
0: Come on, what you got?
1: So when he's about to play the tape, he's like mulling over whether he's going to play the tape at the dance. Yeah. Leslie comes up to him and says... Judas. And he's like, what? And she's like, Judas Priest, you're going to play it? Like, Yeah, that's not how that conversation's ever going <laughs> to fucking go.
0: No, that's <laughs> stretched a little bit. I mean, that whole, the high school dance scene, my note is fucking great for this. It just says, Halloween dance looks weak as fuck. <laughs> But it's one of my favourite lines is when Wesley, the MC, compere of the Halloween dance or whatever, is up there talking to the crowd. And he's heckled by these two guys up in the balcony. And one of them goes, Eat it, Wesley! And the other one goes, Yeah, Wesley, eat it raw! <laughs> That's great. Eat it raw. <laughs> That's so good.
1: I feel like the, the dance scene, the Halloween dance scene, yeah. feels like the climax of the movie.
0: Yeah, it feels like the carry moment.
1: Yeah, and then it's over mm. and... You've got you've got thirty minutes left of like scampering around trying to do stuff, and it's and it never quite reaches the the heights of that of that moment of that section again.
0: Yeah, it's it's the my only major criticism of the movie. Not that I'm in any position to suggest it's any different, but if you just switch it, it works. If the big chase scene leads up to the dance, yeah, and then everyone gets blown up, but then Sammy is vanquished ultimately by you know Ragman's innate goodness. Then you've got a real resolution and a great arc for everyone and a, a decent build up but yeah you're right we get this huge smash fest at the Halloween dance where Sammy's resurrected in spectacular fashion I think his I know you don't like him in this movie but everything he does on that stage is really very cool to me
1: but he bangs his leg for too long for
0: a very long time yeah he is pumping his fist against his thigh for three times longer than he needs to <laughs>
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> But because he's a dancer in real life, his his stage stuff is great. He's really strong. He's very toned. Everything he does, he's convincing. You don't see many people performing music in movies that aren't musicians do it convincingly. Their hands are always wrong. They're always doing something that's a total giveaway. I think he just nails it. He looks amazing.
1: Yeah, I disagree. I don't. I don't think the presence is there. I don't think
0: that's wild to me.
1: Maybe they should have made it so he was better looking before he died, and then he came back all ugly like he is in the film.
0: He is burned. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: but like one thing that I did really rate in the in the dance scene mm. is when they're playing that one song uh, that they play, which I think the music in this. We'll talk about that maybe just next. Mm. But I think the idea that the people in the crowd are stoked to be hearing this song and they're fucking singing along yeah it's like yeah this is this feels real now yeah. like over the top of the the track that's playing there's like a hum of like people singing the same words mm. And it sounds like it's been recorded in a crowd. Maybe it was actually done there. I don't know. But like, it just feel. It makes it feel like yes, this is a real song that people really like, as opposed to like when you hear rock songs in movies and it's like it never really sounds like an actual song that people would write.
0: Yeah, it's, it's got to be a really special for the movie song for it to resonate. Yeah, like, like Fever Dog or something from Almost Famous. Yeah, you know, that's really memorable. But for every Fever Dog, there's a million. Dog shit movie songs that we're supposed to believe all these teenagers love. And yeah, I totally agree. It's a very convincing show, in my opinion. Yeah. Especially compared to some other crap you see. Do you know what I mean? Like
1: The only thing that isn't convincing is why the rest of the band know the songs.
0: Yeah, the kickers who uh the kickers. their singer is like blown to smithereens and Sammy Kerr replaces him and nobody cares. That's like oh, Nobody cares. I guess Derek's dead. Let's let's carry on. <laughs> It's great,
1: yeah, and the, the band keep playing, yeah. throughout loads of people dying the massacre.
0: Yeah, they're just like, but I mean, again, I can relate to that. If I was in a band and, uh, and magically. A, a, an amazing singer appeared in front of me and started blowing up the audience. I would play my ass off for the next two hours until every motherfucker was dead.
1: Yeah, just like a dead vocalist appears in front of you. Yeah, it's like it's fucking Bon Scott or something. You're like, okay.
0: Yeah, especially I if it's I, teenage. I guess kids. I know
1: Highway to Hell now. Like,
0: <laughs> I, I guess that's in the set now, guys. It's like uh, it's like Back to the Future again. It's like you know they all know Johnny Be Good out of nowhere. Those kids getting blown up is one of the most satisfying payoffs of the whole movie for me it's great it, it goes to campy fun detonating human bodies levels sure they don't deserve it but the the, the scene itself all, i mean they deserve it by virtue of being teenagers at a high school dance in my opinion it it just all comes together in that scene and that should be the end it, you're totally right pacing It throws everything off. It throws a big spoke in the momentum of the movie. The only time it wanders off course for me is this protracted chase scene with multiple venues and multiple resurrections. It does serve to build the tension of when they finally go to the radio station, which I think, again, is a great scene. It's really beautiful. I think that is shot well. The the radio station itself is a really cool location with the the huge lit-up sign outside and the giant radio mast, the WZLP all lit up. It looks very lived in. It looks like... um, it looks like a little chef with huge neon letters on top of it. I think it looks amazing. But yeah, Eddie's speeding in the dark, goading Rock's chosen warrior. And that's a cool scene if it leads with up to terrible a big climax. Puns, yeah. Because he
1: like he gets he gets sort of flushed down the toilet for a bit, which I guess is a Let's is look. an Elvis an Elvis joke. Let's talk there, about but... that
0: scene because I think that's unforgivable. <laughs> Sammy Kerr is supposed to be this like semi-omnipotent, all powerful resurrected satanic rock demon firing electricity out of his body and blowing people up. He trips, his hand lands in a toilet and he rolls around screaming and someone flushes him away. That is absolutely ridiculous. I mean... <laughs> Don't defend it. You're going to defend it, aren't you? I'm not going to defend it because <laughs> I think it's
1: nonsense. But I will I will advocate for it in this moment because sometimes, Sam, you need to be kept in check. Frankly, okay. If he's made of pure electricity, or if there is electricity coursing through his veins, water is going to present a problem to him.
0: Yes, but why have him trip and put his hand in a toilet at all? Why is that in the movie? Because
1: <laughs> they were doing an Elvis thing. They were doing a b- huge rock star being stopped by the toilet, like <laughs> brought brought to his literally brought to his knees by the toilet.
0: That's pretty thin, Jamie. <laughs> I, gotta I say. think that's,
1: I think that's what they were doing. I think that's what they're going for.
0: Good lord. But the the pun in question is Ragman trying to coax Sammy out so he can kill him and he says, "How about that toilet? You know, you look kind of flushed back there." Oy oy oy. I mean, it's I give it a pass cuz it's Eddie Weinbauer. Uh, yeah, he's and, not Don,
1: he's not Don Ricks, is it? No
0: not got the comedy chops to really pull that off he escalates his goading there in a, in a quite convincing way he is screaming and he says what are you without your fans and then the the thing that that really gets him that makes sammy leap into the car with him that ultimately leads to his demise is uh rock's chosen warrior is nothing more than a fucking wimp poser and as soon as he says poser that's what pulls him out into the car sammy kerr can't handle being called a poser yeah that's good yes yeah, and great. then
1: they, they kill off nuke off screen
0: very lame yeah Yeah. Yeah, I want to see Gene Simmons die spectacularly as well.
1: Yeah, I guess they only had Gene Simmons for like half a day or something.
0: Must be. Yeah, they just have a smouldering corpse in a chair, which does look pretty good, to be fair.
1: Like, sure, but it feels a little bit of a rip-off.
0: I think this is probably going to be the one and only time in our entire podcast career when I am not satisfied by the body count and not satisfied by the lack of dead teenagers.
1: I mean, there are loads of dead teenagers. They just don't die in a way that is, you know, appealing to me.
0: Yeah. More dead teenagers, I say. The thing that hangs me up on this movie is a lot of the camera work is a bit too janky to be fun. Like, sometimes yeah. it's really shaky, it's out of focus, it wanders. And it, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the movie in any way because I slash we love that shit, right? That's, that's why we're here talking about this movie. But yeah. it is a little bit amateurish and hard to excuse given that it made the final cut. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well, I think those are choices, but I think they're the wrong choices. Yeah. I don't think anything that we see... Or any of the shots that we see in this movie are an accident i just Mm. think they're they're the bad the wrong choice
0: you see it a lot in movies of this type where the the production value is low but the heart of the movie is massive and the the story is ambitious and the performances are way better than they should be which is why maybe it stings a little bit more that the care and attention wasn't given to stuff like shaky camera because it it feels like it sells the movie short because the movie has such a huge heart and it is really funny and it's very cleverly plotted, in my opinion. Yeah. And it it just lets it down a little bit. It's almost like the icing on the cake is a bit skew if. And actually, when I watched it, I wrote in my notes that that was actually quite refreshing, that they just left it in. It's kind of punk and it's pretty fun. Uh, But walking away, I did think like, oh, imagine if it was just a little bit tighter visually or if it was brushed up or remastered. I think it would be much, much better for that, uh, which I wouldn't normally... Care much about at all? To be honest,
1: I think that a low-budget horror film that looks like this five years after Evil Dead, mm. it's it's a little bit unforgivable. Yeah, the the fact that I know that not everyone can be Sam Raimi, and Sam Raimi is is a high bar,
0: mm. probably the highest bar. Like,
1: yeah, but I think. You know, when people say things like "you've got the same amount of hours in the day as Beyoncé," yeah, 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 like fucking Charles Martin Smith has the same amount of hours as Sam Raimi. Do you know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, I get you. Like, there's, there's,
1: there's no excuse. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably loads of excuses, but
0: I don't know them. We haven't been told them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm not interested to find out. That's
0: it. At the end of the day, we are just viewers and fans, right? So if we see something that we think kind of sucks and it, it takes a little bit away from the movie, I think it's valid to say that could have been better. You know, I don't feel like we're being hypercritical of this very low-budget, totally B-list horror movie. But because the counterbalance to that is how much it has going for it. It feels like a pretty fun adventure movie. It, It felt less like a horror to me and more of like a really dark comedy with some horrific moments. And that was refreshing because my main worry going into this movie is that it was going to do loads of stuff that I really dislike about A, the 80s and B, decadent 80s metal which is just mm. being really obnoxious and unlikable and entitled and lots of like flashy cash. And there's none of that whatsoever. It focuses on the stuff that I love about 80s rock and 80s metal, which is the fandom, the love, the the passion, the performance, and ultimately the the huge beating heart behind it all. So I think it just does that really, really well. It hooks me in and it keeps me entertained throughout.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. What do you think about the music then? So the music's put together by Fastway, which is Fast Eddie from Motorhead and yeah. Peter Way from UFO mm-hmm. um, who isn't in the band at this point but his name is half the band's name which yeah. is funny to me I mean he's Pete Way is only in the band for like a year right? in like 1981 or something so by the time they they release anything he's not in the band anymore mm. and the vocalist is uh, Dave King who yeah. you might recognise from Flogging Molly uh, which I think is hilarious
0: it is just mind blowing
1: I think it says that Dave King goes where the money is right <laughs>
0: Definitely. I I mean, I'd I'd seen some interviews with Dave King talking about his glam rock years, his psychedelic rock years, his heavy rock close to metal years. And it does sound like the guy just desperately wanted a career in music. And he did whatever was popping at the time. He's that talented Mm. that he can sing like that. And he can also sing like a, you know, like a drunk Irish folk singer. Yeah. And he's, he's getting on now, right? I mean, he's, he's had several careers and he's had several really successful music careers and and he, he deserves a ton of respect for what he's pulled off. But yeah, he was definitely jumping from genre to genre, which is something you see less of nowadays, I think, but I don't think that erodes his integrity in any way. It just shows me how fucking talented that guy is.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a polyglot or like he's, he could just do anything, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, to answer your question, I have so little to say about the music in this movie because it's just so perfect. It's phenomenal. The standard of these songs, they have no right just being a movie soundtrack. It's absolutely flawless, I think. I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, I agree. I think, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, like the the idea that songs that are written by screenwriters to go in movies, with very few exceptions, they are normally awful. Mm. But like, I mean, that's why you get a band to write the, the songs to go with this. Yeah. With a film like this, because you get something that means something to someone that that, that has the flow of a real song, not just like oh, I've heard songs and I, I, I guess I know what they go like. I know music. I'm writing. I don't know, like the 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 song in Freaky Friday, it's pretty good. Right. Uh, the the Lindsay Lohan one. The songs in the Josie and the Pussycats, pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big Fastway fan, particularly. I think they're pretty weak in the in the sort of the, the genre. I think the stuff that they were doing before Motorhead and UFO ultimately way better. Mm-hmm. Even though this might surprise you, given that my voice sounds like this, but I fucking hate Lemmy's vocals. <laughs> like, I, I just think it's 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 bullshit gravel for the sake of it. And again, I realise what my voice sounds like, so. <laughs>
0: Your voice isn't bullshit gravel for the sake of it, for the record. That's just how you sound.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, you know what I mean, though.
0: Yeah. I I think the Lemmy hype, I mean, this is off, this is a tangent, but I never really understood the Lemmy hype until he died. And then, you know, it's a really sad thing, isn't it? But quite often you take people's existence for granted. Then when they die, you find out loads of amazing stuff about them. And I went to the Rainbow Lounge, and they have this like roped off. Chair where Lemmy used to sit, and they make him a whiskey and coke, and constantly like top it up. And they just sectioned off this part of like some of the most expensive real estate in all of LA, Sunset Strip, for Lemmy's ghost. And and when I first saw it, I was like, "Fucking hell!" Like that's weird. And then you kind of you kind of read more about what he was all about and what he did for you know rock music and. Yeah, I, get, I, I think I get the Lemmy thing a lot more now. Vocal style-wise, I, I dig it. I think it's great. I thought Fastway sounded a bit too glam for your taste, for what I know of your taste.
1: Um, I'm, I'm pretty into some glam. Yeah?
0: So what is it that doesn't yeah. do it for you about Dave King and the the Blasters or whatever they're called?
1: It's hard to quantify. I think that when, when you put it in a movie, mm. it sounds like real music. Mm-hmm. But when you put it against like Van Halen... It sounds like weak piss.
0: Got you. It's not beefy enough for what you like. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the movie, I, I can't think of songs that I would replace any of these songs with. What's great is it's all, because it's all one band. You have this unified feeling through the whole, through the whole movie. And you kind of, I mean, is it supposed to be Sammy Kerr's band? Yeah, I think so. Right. Well, that totally works for me. I think, I, I think it's, it's huge production value to me to have all these songs in this movie sounding so great. And also placed really well. The the trick is the placement. I think a lot of the time the sequencing of these tracks with the action in the movie is absolutely bang on. I just got no notes. I think it's fucking superb.
1: Like I would have, I would have preferred Wasp. Right. Obviously they 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 were they were going to cast Blackie Lawless mm. and Wasp were going to provide the soundtrack. Ultimately, I think that Fast Way and Dave King. It's a bit clean. It's a bit glammy mm. for for the character. Yeah. Whereas like Blackie Lawless and wasp like they are dirt horrible angry nasty mm. violent lyrics like stage presence and i think that would have really sold the the sammy kerr music have you ever seen a, a movie called the dungeon master yeah so there's a scene in that do you remember where the 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 evil wizard guy sends the computer programmer into a concert yeah. in la and that's wasp that are playing that's wasp yeah,
0: wow, okay. and like
1: the, his love interest is on stage and like the yeah. the shackles and things and Blackie Lawless is like Whisting scraping it. a knife all over her body. Oh, it's okay. fucking great. Like imagine he's the guy. Imagine he's, yeah. he's Sammy Kerr. It, it's perfect.
0: You've got a different movie with a more aggressive, nasty sounding band providing the soundtrack, right? It, it, I think it steers things in a a darker direction you might have more of a horror movie
1: sammy kerr is painted as this angry bitter character Mm. like he's famous but he's angry and he's bitter why doesn't the music reflect that the fact that the music's like rock and roll rocking after midnight (laughs) save my soul do you know (laughs) what i mean it's just a bit like yeah it just feels a bit oh really is that
0: i get you sammy kerr would be better Placed in a in a much heavier band based on his character for sure. I mean, he'd be yeah. in a thrash band surely. But the, I still think maybe if the music isn't meant to be his band, it's just a vehicle for the action. It's it's a you know it's a rock and good time soundtrack. Then it works even more for me. But it, it is hard to reconcile the two. Uh, I mean, a lot of rock stars had these huge aggressive aggro evil images and were actually total pussycats. So I, I kind of see the parody with with other rock stars in that sense but I, I, I completely agree I think either a heavier soundtrack and you've got more of a horror movie or the soundtrack you've got but it's not Sammy Kerr's band it's just rock and yeah. tunes um, one or the other yeah
1: um, I, 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 I do like it mm. I just I, I, would, I would love the heft of a wasp
0: <laughs> the heft of a wasp yeah yeah I get you I'm just glad it's not some bullshit like Motley Crue or something like I'm just really glad it's not them yeah it's... Like,
1: wasp are, wasp are so good.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard a huge amount of wasp.
1: You know what wasp stands for?
0: White Anglo-Saxon Protestant.
1: We are sexual perverts. <laughs>
0: is <it> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's like in Dragnet, where pagan is people against goodness and normalcy. <laughs> we are sexual perverts. Brilliant. All right, okay, you're selling me on this. Maybe it should. Maybe it should have been Wasp.
1: <laughs> they're so good. They're like that. They're, they're in that sort of eighties glam metal thing. Yeah. Like where where bands like Van Halen and Motley Crue were, were pretty big. Yeah. But they've got such a edge to them. They're such they're so much more like nasty and like They're probably dangerous. Yeah, they they feel I don't know, like you can listen to Van Halen now and it all feels a bit quaint. Yeah. Whereas Wasp still feels still feels
0: edgy. Okay. I'll pop it on the list.
1: Another thing that I wanted to talk about about Trick or Treat was how generally confused, I think, the message of the film is. Right. Right. Which is like ultimately, I mean, you're familiar with the PRC. They sort of in the in the eighties were crusading against so-called offensive material in in music, Satanism,
0: it's typical, sexiness,
1: right? violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of it focused on backmasking mm-hmm. in metal music, and it feels like this movie sort of like agreeing with with them. The metal is bad, and it's gonna co-opt your kids' minds and turn them into. Satanists or violent thugs or, or whatever.
0: Do you know what I mean? Are you saying that because of the TV broadcasts specifically where you Because got- of
1: the plot of the movie. Like, <laughs> the plot of the movie is literally heavy metal corrupts the minds of these children. Right. And violent things happen as a result. Like, there's a character, uh, the, the girl in the demon car sex scene... Yeah. ...who is literally seduced by metal. <laughs> like, it's... It's not subtle. Like, she's literally actually seduced by metal yeah it feels confusing that they're, they're sort of like saying yeah this is a thing that could happen or this not this is a thing that could happen but like we buy into this thing that typical and the pmrc are, play, uh, are saying
0: is it is it maybe doing the opposite of that and saying look how fucking ridiculous these people are they actually think that something like this could happen yeah
1: i mean that that's possible I guess, like, that could be the way that they're going with it, like...
0: Well, like, who in their right mind is watching this and being like, that could happen, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, my God, my son, I must burn his records. I think it's more playful. I think it's more, it's it's more like, wow, people actually think that rock has the power to, you know, bring people back from the dead and corrupt our beautiful, innocent teenage girls. Let's show them how dumb they are by making that happen in a low-budget rock movie mm. and, and playing it out. It, it feels... It feels more amoral to me. Like, the morality tale here is more the friendship, um, the fact that Ragman is pretty respectful to the female character in the movie, the fact that, yes, Rock does ultimately lead to the destruction and death of lots of teenagers, but in the dumbest way imaginable. And the Rocker is undone by falling into a toilet. Do you know what I mean? It's all very silly. Yeah. And I think otherwise, you don't have a movie. Do you know what I mean? If you don't play on that, the existing fear of rock, you don't have these. You don't have these antagonists played by um, good old Alice Nunn and Ozzy Osbourne. You don't have these religious zealots made to look ridiculous. You don't. You don't have them killed by Rock's last chosen warrior, and you just end up with, you know, pretty wet social commentary. So I quite like that it throws so much ridiculous, campy mayhem and nonsense into that storyline and that theme and that central conflict Hmm. but i can totally see how idiots would watch this and be like see rock is evil (laughs) just the existence of this probably angers a lot of very conservative christians Because it it does play that stuff out. Surely that's the point. That's why all of this exists, right? To say fuck you to those people.
1: I just thought it was a bit confusing. It's like, I don't know, it takes takes this narrative as read. Maybe it's like, yeah, like you say, like, if if the thing that you're saying was real, it would look like this. And look how fucking dumb that
0: is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What it doesn't do, which is great, is it doesn't do a fucking SLC punk and completely (laughs) undermine... the entire message of the movie in that, you know, Punk's not dead and then you sell out and become a lawyer or whatever happens at the end of that movie. It's I think it stays pretty true throughout. And what I love is that Eddie remains a very kind, compassionate, good friend, kind hearted, troubled and ultimately bullied dude who rises above it all he realizes that revenge isn't the way he realizes that um he has the the strength and the i guess the self-efficacy to move away from just following his hero who's gone mental beyond the grave and he ultimately triumphs over the bullies the people who judged him based on his appearance and his music taste and over his own demented hero it's it's a pretty triumphant arc and i think eddie is obviously the linchpin and the main character of the movie but a really heartening tale of like self discovery and, and teen angst resolved.
1: And and his prize is that he he gets to be Wolfman Jack.
0: Yeah, great ending. I thought
1: one of the things that this film does that I really really don't like. Mm. There's this, there's a scene quite early on in like the news footage where it shows Sammy Kerr talking at like a hearing in Congress, mm. which is very similar to Dee Snyder's testimony in the 1985 PMRC hearings, mm-hmm. except it's super shallow. You think so? Yeah, I think in the film, I think the stuff that uh, Sammy Kerr is saying, he's speaking directly to the kids that like his music. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Snyder was doing was being super eloquent, uh, super eloquent, and like amazing at those hearings, and like changed adult minds with his testimony. Mm. And like what Sammy Kerr is saying is like the kids love me, I'm a cool guy, or whatever. I don't, I can't remember what he says. I didn't write it down.
0: I thought it was pretty right on. It's anti-censorship. It's, it's you know, you can't legislate art, which I thought was pretty, pretty bang on. It's a sound bite ultimately, isn't it? You can't do much with it.
1: Yeah, I think there was I think there was there was just something a bit a bit more than what he said that I just thought was lame and like almost cheapened the Snyder testimony, which I'm a big fan of, obviously. Yeah.
0: I think it's more a vehicle for us to see that he's angry and it's it's the first time we see him you know live in the flesh outside of a poster and, and we we get to, we get a glimpse of him losing it he starts off articulating something quite well and then he starts pointing and he gets really aggressive and then it cuts and he's dead so i didn't have a huge problem with that i i, I am as always the ultimate sucker for just taking what's happening as great <laughs> and i thought yeah fuck him. and you thought deeper and, and obviously attributed <laughs> it to something in real life so yeah i think again i was just enjoying that scene in the movie but you're right i think it could there's a real opportunity there if, if your message is you know anti-censorship pro you know the autonomy of the listener um and, and pro art essentially you could do something better there but i don't think sammy yeah. kerr is the vehicle for that i think he's the angry bad guy so if you, your conflicting message there is is exacerbated if you've got him being right on in life and just crazy evil in death i don't think the, the motivation marries up as much
1: yeah i just think there's the, there might be a better way of sharing that than, in my opinion, cheapening something that was that was happening in real life mm. that was important and valuable.
0: Yeah, it doesn't do much of a service to that in tribute, really, does it? No. Yeah. I tell you what is rad, though, in that same TV broadcast, when he's hopefully not a real snake, that would bum me out so much, but he's like licking the tongue of this snake and then he bites it in half and pours and smears all the blood all over himself. That's fucking gnarly.
1: Obviously, that's playing off the Ozzy Osbourne bat yeah. thing. Which, you know, didn't play out like that. But it is a gnarly fucking visual, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it's great. It's really cool. Cool. It's it's one of the first really awesome moments in the movie, I think, getting to see that. And again, Ragman loves this guy, but... You don't really ever understand why, except the fact that he came from that high school. He's too nasty for Ragman. I think he's he's too bad boy.
1: Well, like if you look at the posters on Ragman's wall, mm. like you've got Anthrax, who are like Anthrax are angry but they're funny. Yeah, like they're they're they're, they're like the self aware thrash band at this point at least. Mm. And like who else? You have got Raven, they're a bit soft. You've got Judas Priest, who are heavy but like also pretty goofy with it. Pretty dad
0: ultimately. Like they look quote unquote badass, but they're just kind of weak. I don't really like Judas Priest at all.
1: I mean, we might talk about Judas Priest later.
0: I respect Halford a lot, but I don't really like Judas.
1: Priest. I think Judas Priest did their best and also heavier stuff in the in the early nineties. Mm. It's, it's it's amazing, but because if the Fastway songs are Sammy Kerr songs, mm. then you know it, it it fits because it's ultimately pretty weak in the in the in the genre. Mm. But I just don't buy that his songs would sound like that if if he's this angry man. You know what I mean?
0: I don't know. I think. Anytime you, you make a movie about rockers, I, we talked about Rain, Wayne's World in our intro um, episode, and it, it grinds with you that uh, Mike Myers does not understand heavy metal or rock culture at all. <laughs> and it's it's not represented properly i don't think it ever really is especially not in a mainstream movie any subculture that is misunderstood by the mainstream is inherently doomed to be misrepresented in cinema it just it's not going to drum up mass interest if it's accurate it has to be either a sort of melodramatic version of it or it has to play into the stereotype a little bit and i think we get that in this movie there are Mm. rock stereotypes left right and center i'll tell you what's incredible is the, the metal shop scene. Eddie's wearing an alternative tentacles t-shirt.
1: Yeah, I noticed that. That's pretty cool, isn't so it? So great,
0: yeah. I mean, that's obviously not a world-renowned heavy metal label by any stretch of the imagination, but about as underground and anti-establishment as you can get. You know, that's really cool that that's in the movie i think there's no way that's a mistake you know that's very deliberate i think and that shows an understanding of subcultural genres of music that are fighting the you know the oppressive voices of those in power and i think it's yeah it's i think it's really meaningful in the movie i don't think it's just like a dumb wardrobe choice i think it's great i choose to believe that (laughs) That's, that's, that's what i'm saying
1: do you have any anything else to add before we go to a quick break
0: um there's a bit where Ragman's mum is working out, laying down by the side of her bed, and it really depressed me because that's what I do. She's <laughs> she's laying down doing her like side splits, watching TV, and I was like, ah, oh, fucking, that's what I do.
1: Does it not really depress you that you kind of look like her boyfriend in his little <laughs> Rambo outfit?
0: I li- I like to think that I pro- I project that level of confidence, yeah. Will oh, you give it up, man? Go when he's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. All right, we're back.
1: We are back. So what's what? What are you scoring?
0: Ragman for me does exactly what it sets out to do. Trick or treat, Ragman. uh, Perfect movie in that sense. It's it's an incredibly fun rock-based horror adventure movie. So I give it six strings out of six. Nice. I'm not saying like I'll go back and watch it all the time or anything, but it's really entertaining. Uh, it only has one little whoopsie in the middle, and and that's just a personal preference thing. So I think in terms of movies doing what they say they're going to do, it fulfills the brief on the cover, <laughs> well my cover at least, and it totally smashes every you know every kind of prerequisite that I want in a what is essentially like the, the Goonies of hard rock. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's great.
1: Fair enough. I play bass and throw and stuff, so I will give it. The amount of strings that I play out of the amount of strings on the instrument, so I'm I'm giving it two out of four. (laughs)
0: Two out of four strings, which is nuts, because I assumed that this would be one of your ride or die movies, and that I would think it was fine. I okay. We need to qualify these ratings. I don't love this movie by any stretch of the imagination. I just think it's really effective at doing what it sets out to. For that, I have a huge amount of respect. I'll probably never watch it again. Uh, maybe maybe I'll watch it on Halloween with you. It's not it's not ranking in any of my lists. It's not ticking those kind of boxes. I just I think it's it's incredibly effective at delivering everything it sets out to be. So and conversely, that I,
1: I um, love this film, but I think that there are I think it's riddled with problems. Right. So I'm trying to rate it based on my objective feeling rather than how it actually is. Right. How how I actually feel about it.
0: Well, if I'm rating it on how much I like it, it's probably like a. 5 out of 10. 4 or 5 out of 10. If I'm rating it on how well it does its job, 13 out of 10.
1: Yeah, okay. So, well, if I'm rating it on actual objective, how I think this film is, it's 2 out of 4. But based on, like, if it fulfills its own brief, it's 11 out of 11.
0: These are the most confusing (laughs) ratings I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I don't... There's nothing about this movie I don't enjoy when I'm watching it, but it, you know, it lacks the sort of memorable edge to be an evil dead Two, for example, which yeah. is perfect in every dimension for me. I hold a lot of these types of movies up against those types of movies. This feels like, uh, you know, it's in a different group altogether. Mm. Um, but it's very fun. It's, Despite its visual challenges, I do think it's well made, just in, in, in not in the strictly visual, you know, uh, camera authorship kind of way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tight in the edit, I yeah. think. Yeah. No complaints about the editing. I think I think it's really well made in that regard. And I think it probably sticks to a, a pretty decent storyboard. It's obviously the dialogue's really well written. It's totally believable in that regard.
1: So that's it. Um if you enjoyed this, enjoyed the chat about trick or treat. Uh, there's a load of things that you can do to help the show out. You can support us on Patreon for just £3 or dollars a month. You can get access to bonus episodes, polls where you can suggest movies that we'll cover in the future, all mm-hmm. kinds of other things incoming on the Patreon. You can follow us on Instagram. You can check out our musical projects.
0: Use your finger to tap the five-star rating. That's the big one because that helps us get heard more. Well, be honest, don't tap five if you didn't love it, but... You know, it's that easy. You just, you tap it and you're done. So if you could do that, we'd love that. Thank yeah. you.
1: Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you next time where we're going to talk about a little movie called Splinter from 2008.
0: I'm so excited. I love Splinter.
1: Yeah? No spoilers.
0: Mm-hmm. No spoilies. Um, i tell you what though, it, you know, if you've got a couple of quid kicking around and you want to hear us talk about heavy metal, 80s style, then, you know, get on the Patreon because that's going to be a fun chat.
1: It certainly is. We're going to do it right now. I'm going to go grab a beer and then we're going to get down to it.
0: Round and round like rat.
1: Round and round like rat. (laughs) Good night, Jamie. Good night, Sam.
0: See you in a minute.